0: We're going to pick up with Second Timothy tonight, start this book. Uh, we've been traveling through, uh, looking at some of the things Paul had to say to us through these epistles. And so, we welcome all of you that are watching us live around the United States or anywhere else in the world. And those of you who will get our podcast this week, thank all of you for tuning in to our early morning study on the Holy Spirit. So, it's been very hot, hasn't it, for... Somebody came back from Florida and said it was hotter here than it was down there. So We don't have any nice breezes usually like they do. Sometimes we do. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. Thank you for your love and mercy. We thank you for your word. You have magnified your word above your name, Lord. And we are grateful that you have left us your word. You said heaven and earth will pass away, but your word will stand forever. You said you sent your son, and he was the word made flesh. There are three that bear witness in the heaven, the Father, the Spirit, and the Word. And we we love your Word here, Lord. We want to live it. We want to sing it. We want to teach it. We want to take it into our lives. We want to hear what Jesus has to say when he said, Let these things sink down into your ears. We need your Word. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. And we're thankful, Lord, that you've opened our ears and our hearts to who you are through your word. And everybody said, amen. 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 Second Timothy chapter 1. So before we go into this, this was most likely Paul's last letter before he was beheaded by Nero. He was writing to uh, Timothy one more time. Actually, he's writing things that God intended to be given to the church. But in these situations, was, uh, most theologians believe that this was the last letter he wrote before he was beheaded, executed. Paul was a tough guy. The Lord made him tough, I'm sure, in a lot of ways. But he was relentless about doing God's will. He's, he wrote most of our New Testament. The Holy Spirit used him to pin most of our New Testament down. And uh, Paul was the one that said we owe the Jews a debt because they, certainly they gave us the Messiah. He came through the Jewish line. But most of your Bible was written by Jewish people. A few Gentiles sprinkled through there. But, so they gave us God's word and gave us our Messiah through that line. So Paul said we owe them a debt that we should be grateful and thankful that they have made such a sacrifice. And they have uh, many of them been sacrificed uh, to for God's will to be done, and so Paul is no is one of the greatest examples of that. So let's look at chapter one, verse one of Second Timothy. It says Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, according to the promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, a beloved son. He was his son in the faith. There's no evidence that he was his son in the natural, but he was his son and the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank thank God whom I serve with a pure conscience as my forefathers did, as without ceasing I remember you in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see you being mindful of your tears, that I may be filled with joy when I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you. Now I want to stop for a moment. I want you to notice what he said here. He said, "I thank God who I served with a pure conscience." Now Paul was one of the meanest guys around before he got saved in a religious way. There's no clear-cut evidence that he had he actually killed someone, but he had Christians put in prison and put to death. So basically, it's the same thing. If, that David did when he took Bathsheba and had her husband put at the front of the line so he would be killed. So David's still responsible. Paul, you remember when they were stoning Stephen, Paul was not converted yet and they laid their coats at his feet. he still saw. So we look, and the world's culture is this way, we look at somebody maybe who's failed or done something wrong or whatever and think they can't have a clear conscience. And the devil beats people up with that, even probably in this building tonight. You can't have a clear conscience because you've done or you've did whatever. But that's not what the Bible teaches. Old things pass away. All things are becoming new. I can't imagine being Apostle Paul and standing in front of a group of people And looking out over the congregation say, There's a mother with three children and no father because I had him killed. You think the battles that the devil tried to throw on him. There's a husband with four children and no wife because you had her put in prison. You think of the battles he must have had standing up and now he was preaching the way that he persecuted so aggressively and stood against. And think about the lives maybe. I wonder how many times Paul thought about Stephen. I wonder how many times he... Well, there's somewhere he, he, has, he learned. One of the secrets of Christianity is learning to Receive. Learning to allow God to bless you or help you. Sometimes He does it through others. Sometimes He does it supernaturally. Sometimes He does it in circumstances we don't clearly understand. But learning to receive. And that's a little harder in America because we are trained to be self-made people. that, There's some good in that, but there's also some rough times with that when you try to bring that into Christianity and not surrender and let God take care of you and do some things for you because we get so caught up in doing for ourselves. It was hard for me to be a preacher. (laughs) When I first come into preaching, you know, after I quit running and said, I'll do it, then to accept God's benevolence or to have somebody do something for me that I was... Left the coal mines working 65 hours a week doing my own thing and uh, making my own paycheck, quote-unquote, and then to come in to surrender to that. And when you start pastoring full-time for $90 a week, there were people that brought us groceries. Somebody would slip money in my hand at times, and you'd feel awkward about it. But they understood the sacrifice because I knew that I felt like in my heart the church couldn't go where it needed to go if I was trying to work a job and preach too. I mean, there's sacrifices on both sides, right? I mean, sacrifices for the congregation to make, sacrifices for the pastor to make. But to receive that, when you've been taught to make your own way, I mean, we all grew up like that, right? I mean, my grandfather and my father, I mean, they made me work, you know. I, I, if there would have been video games when I was growing up, my dad would have probably been insane. <laughs> my grandpa would have said, Why are you wasting time doing that? I'm going to tell you, uh, this is funny. My grandmother's in heaven, but she's... one of our aunts came and said to her, um, I joined the gym. And my grandmother said, let me get this straight. You're paying somebody to mow your grass, and you joined the gym and paid for it. She said, you could get your exercise. See, that's how that generation thought, right? They had a whole day. You could save your money and get your exercise from mowing your own grass. So that generation would not be probably as, as understanding as, as we've grown to be over time. And things change, and it's hard for all of us to accept change. It was hard for me to accept God's. I mean, you think about it. I, I deal with people half for over years. Say, man, I've been so bad, and the, and and some of them don't even want to talk about it. And I understand. And and there's you know, if they recognize they've been bad, then they can move on. Jesus didn't. He didn't enumerate all the things the woman had done at the well with all those men. He just said he just confronted her and said, you, you've had more. You, when Then one husband, the guy you're with now, you're not married to. I mean, he disidentified that, but he didn't dig into all the backstage stuff. So it's good to have a place. But I I have people say, man, what's God going to say when I get in front of him? I'm gonna say, he's going to say, I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <That was good. laughs> Amen. Because if you think about how hard it is for us to forget something, right? Right other than our car keys or something, you know, something like that. But really, events in our lives, it's like, it's hard to move on, to forget them, right? And we talked about how, I remember preaching this in a roller rink, how the, to forget means to put it in a box and store it away like in an attic. You know, and, and some, if you go back to a place you you store stuff and you open a box, you think, I forgot I had that. That's kind of what that word means. But when you when you think about God with the power to forget... Really forget. I mean, that's pretty powerful. The, and so God, he, he forgives us of our sins. You can have a clear conscience if you want it. If you'll accept God's love, His grace, His forgiveness. Remember, I preached a message a few months ago. about You don't, you don't have the authority to forgive yourself. That's why you have to receive God's forgiveness. You can't, we, that's some of the modern counsel. You've got to learn to forgive yourself. You can't. You have to receive God's forgiveness. That's what makes you clean. And so a lot of people can't do that. They want to stay. The devil keeps them stooped into that. But Paul is prof- or testifying to us that he has a clear conscience. So if he's got a clear conscience, you and I can have one. And he says, The genuine faith that's in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and i'm persuaded is is in you also and i've seen that in my own family be passed down from generations not everybody gets it but that's i was the lord graced me to get it but a lot of my family didn't get it or haven't so far therefore i remind you to stir up the gift of god which is in you through the laying on of my hands and and here's the problem when you talk about faith y'all know i've preached this for 25 years now Faith is not a mental recognition. That's what we watered it down to. But faith is pisteo. It is a verb. Pisteo undergirds all believing in faith in the New Testament. This is a borrowed coin word. It's it's faithing. So verbs have action, right? So he's testifying here about timothy who is active in his faith right now and and i i could walk through my family tree and and talk to a lot of them and they say i believe in god yeah but you have no action toward him right and we know people like that we you have no action toward him and so that's what true faith is and so it's people who act on their faith and let me say something else here while i'm on this topic not, there will be none of us who will be perfect. God looked for a perfect man. He found him. His name's Yeshua. We call him Jesus. But that's why this word hupomene is so important in the book of James and other places in the Bible. It means to be consistent. We, none of us are going to be perfect, but all of us can be consistent. And being consistent means that we get up when we fall. We don't sit around and feel sorry for ourselves. In fact, that's one of the, I, that may be the worst thing a Christian can do, is just feel sorry for themselves. That plays right into the devil's hands. Aren't you glad Jesus didn't feel sorry for himself? I'm glad Paul didn't feel sorry for himself. I'm glad there were men and women, including Esther and Ruth and people like that, along with the men. I'm glad that there were men and women that didn't get distracted with feeling sorry for themselves. Man, that is a trick of the enemy. To get us to feel sorry for ourselves. So he's talking about a guy who's active, right? True faith has action. That's why it's pisteo. Hasa and batak are the two Hebrew words that undergird all faith and believing in the Old Testament. Same thing. They're both verbs. So true faith. That's why James said faith without works is dead. Because if you say you believe something and you don't act on it, you're not faithing. You don't have any action toward it. And he says, your your grandmother Lois, she's from Kentucky. I don't think they use Lois anywhere but Kentucky did. They? Maybe West Virginia and Tennessee. Said, uh, first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And that's got to be somebody from the holler right there, Eunice. And I am persuaded is also in you. Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not... Look at this. God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power... And of a love and of of a sound mind. That's why Paul has a clear conscience. Because of that right there. If you got got fear trying to drive you and push you around, I'm not talking about fear toward God. My motto is fear God, you don't have to be afraid of anything else. If you don't fear God properly, you'll be afraid of everything else. That's how it works. I, I am sold and I may die tonight. And if I do, bake a cake, have a party and say he's out of here. Because I don't have the promise of tomorrow, but I am sold out that God is in charge. I believe that to the top of my head from the soles of my feet. I believe God, even in my worst moments when I've been frustrated with God and couldn't figure Him out, I've never once doubted who's in charge. So when I look at a situation in the world and I think I get frustrated with it or aggravated or maybe in our own country, I have to remind myself God's in charge. He's got everything worked out. He's got a plan and it's all going the right direction is the way he's got it planned out. And that's not always uh, fun to watch, uh, but God's got a plan. Can you say amen? So God has not given us a spirit of fear, so you should recognize that. There's another verse that says, sudden fear is not of the Lord. So you need to recognize that that's coming from the enemy. What does fear do? It paralyzes. If anybody watches, and we got a lot of this stuff to watch anymore, uh, National Geographic or read those articles or whatever, about how lions paralyze their prey. And the Bible says, Satan's like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour, right? And so a roar from a lion, they say, is like surround sound. So when a lion roars... Its prey can't really tell where the roar's coming from, and so it paralyzes it. It don't know which way to run, and that's what Satan tries to do with us. He tries to roar over us, seeking the and so we'll get par- Fear is really it does paralyze us, don't it? I mean, it's just like it makes us freeze up, seize maybe be another word, seize up, and that's how the enemy works on our life. He brings in all this fear, you know. And Paul resisted all that. Read his life in Acts and how he conducted himself. Does anybody know who Smith Wigglesworth is? Smith Wigglesworth was—he's a dead—he's dead now. But uh, he uh, was a powerful man of God, much like Reinhard Bonnke in our generation, who's actually gone. These guys saw powerful miracles consistently, from blinded eyes being opened, people being raised from the dead. Just some men that were sold out like the Apostle Paul through the centuries and they they tell a story about smith wigglesworth and they said he would not read a newspaper or anything because he didn't want his mind to be carried away into things other than the things of god now we're not i'm not saying what's right or wrong here i'm just i'm just saying that's how committed he didn't want anything to interfere with his his mind and so he uh they tell this story about him how he was in a hotel room in a city preaching and he woke out of the sleep, and he had a, a, a demonic presence in his room. Uh, and some of you have experienced that, myself included. You know sometimes the devil gets more aggressive than others. And they said that he just rolled over and said, Oh, it's just you. went back to sleep. Boy, that's where I want to live right there, right? But some Christians would be jumping out of the window and calling 911 and everything. We don't need to be that way. We, we have power, right? Look what he said he gave us. He don't give us fear, but he gives us power, love, and a sound mind. Wow. Tell your neighbor, they need a sound mind. Go ahead and tell them. That. I'm going to tell you something that I can't remedy. If your mind is pushing you around, the number one remedy for that is the Word of God. You need to listen to it. You need to read it. I've known guys and men and women that have had trouble, and I knew a guy that had trouble that he read the Word of God 12 hours a day till his mind got right. It'll do it. But we like quick fixes, right? We like to drive through the drive through I'll have an order of a sound mind and... And a, a bag of uh, power, and right, we just want it right now. I mean, that's our culture, but I'm telling you, the people that I know that have struggled in their mind and sometimes even in their health because the Bible said He sent His word and healed them. Right? If they get in the word, it's a game changer. There's no, there's not a good enough. I'm gonna say this, and I don't care who likes it. There's not a good enough church service. There's not a good enough preacher. There's not a good enough worship person to overcome what the Word of God can do. It will do more in our lives than anything. And so you need to saturate yourself with it. I need to saturate myself with it. And I've been in this stuff for a long time now. But I'll read it. I, I listen to it. I speak it over myself. If you remember the prayer journey, that we, there's a place where you speak the Word of God over yourself, and you're going to see that again this Sunday, how that God wants to get His Word. If He was the Word made flesh, when you get the Word in, you're getting Jesus in. You're getting more of Him in. But we like to live on the microwave culture, right? We are the microwave culture. Don't do those baked potatoes in the oven. Shove them in the microwave. Send all that radiation around the house so we can all get a little taste of it. (laughs) That's our culture, right? We're willing to even put ourselves at risk if we can save 10 minutes. Am I talking to anybody besides myself? All right, and he says, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. Do not. We have got to be the people that are not ashamed to let people know we love Jesus Christ and we're his followers and we don't care what anybody else thinks. Then he said, and and his prisoner, nor of me his prisoner, but share with me the sufferings of the gospel according to the power of God. The Bible says if we suffer with him, we'll reign with him. So, you know, there is some suffering along this journey. Sometimes it's emotional. Sometimes it's physical. Sometimes it's spiritual. But there is some suffering. The Bible says the trying of our faith is more precious than gold. So what God is doing, working on us, he's working on eternal creatures. And he's molding us and making us where we're more like him. And we all benefit the more each one of us get like Jesus. And then he says, his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling. Now look at the next thing. Not according to our works, but according to His own purpose and grace which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. The Bible says in Revelation that Jesus was slain before the foundation of the world. God was not caught off guard in the garden. He knew Adam and Eve were going to blow it. But that's how we see who we are, right? We, if God hadn't allowed this thing to unfold... The way it did, we would all think, oh, well, we can do it on our own. That's our nature. But God gave us clear evidence that man cannot, even Adam had no sin behind them. We're born into sin. They weren't created that way. They were created by God. They were the first parents. And so they didn't have any sinful People behind them giving them things or them seeing things that were not correct or right and adopting them into their own lives. All they had was God and talking to them every day. Everybody says, what the preacher thinks. I believe that's how they lived, and that's how they were going to be living for eternity. They had things in the garden, but the Bible says God came and spoke with them. I believe they were living off of his injections of his word. That was going to sustain them forever. How do we know that? Because the Bible says heaven and earth pass away, but His Word will never pass away. That's what's going to sustain us throughout eternity is His Word. And Jesus is the Word. And He was made flesh. That's why I say emphatically, if you call yourself a Christian and say, I believe in Jesus and love Him, but I reject parts of His Word, you can't do that. Because by rejecting His Word, you are rejecting Him. Because they're one and the same. And then he says. Saved us not according to our works. But according to his purpose. So God not only was Jesus. Had a plan for Jesus. He had a plan for all of us. He told Jeremiah. He said I knew you before I formed you in the womb. He said I'm calling your name Cyrus. 500 plus years before he was ever born. God's in charge. He is so in charge. Even when it looks like he's not. He's still in charge. And he says. Because that's the natural man looking, right? He says, Given us the Christ Jesus before time began, purpose in Christ, but but has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Now, what happened? Lazarus dies. Jesus is late. He's late. And they're distraught about it. Because they knew who he was at this point. They believed on him. But they're still in the natural to some degree, right? They said, Lazarus is dead. They told him that before he got there. And he said, Well, let's go. And they're thinking, "Eh, what the big deal now? He's already dead. And then they get over there, and was it Martha said, Hey, if you'd been here, he wouldn't have died, because we know who you are. And he says, He'll rise, and she said, we know He'll rise in the last day. We understand that. What theology? They had that good theology before the New Testament was ever written. They'd been paying attention, right? They said, we know He'll come up in the resurrection last day. And then He says something that I'm feeling already inside of me. That when He said, I think every tree in the world must have shook. He said, I am the resurrection. I done showed showed up. (laughs) So, He was the resurrection before the resurrection, right? And so, the resurrection is not some concept. It's a person. In Him, I live and move and have my being. In Him, I'm forgiven. In Him, I have eternal life. In Him, I'm living forever. It's all in Him. I don't care what the plan is or what year you were born or if you were born under the law or under grace. It's still Him. There is no nothing without Jesus Christ. Without Him, we can't do anything. But through Him, we can do all things in Him. And so He says, I am the resurrection. Of course, you know the rest of that story. He raises Him from the dead. So He says... Who appearing the Savior Jesus who has abolished death, brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And the uh, Euglia, Euglia is the Greek word for gospel. It doesn't simply mean good news, it means good news with a reward. And the reward, certainly the greatest reward of that, is eternal life. But also, many other things that the gospel brings to us as rewards to which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of the Gentiles. For this reason, I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. Safest place in the world is to give your stuff to Jesus. That's why we sow. We reap what we sow. We sow mercy. We sow grace. We sow forgiveness. We sow truth. We sow money. We sow material things. We do all that. And we're just laying up treasures over there where malls and rust can't get in on it. Jesus is protecting it. And we're laying up treasures on the other side. This world's not our home. We're just passing through. How would you like to get to heaven? Say The Lord say... You had a big bank account down there, and you ain't got squat up here. Right? Because we, if we're not careful, we can live with what? We can live with a hook. Right? Jesus was watching. A lot of people probably missed that part. But in Luke 21, Jesus was watching. He said, he told them, said, that widow woman gave more than everybody. So he was watching. People act like the Lord don't look at offering bags and stuff. It's like, he don't get into all that. But he was watching. And he pointed out, said all those rich guys gave out of their abundance. Said She gave everything. And so quantitatively, right? He said she gave more. God is such a fair God, and you will never. I don't care if, you, if you're tempted to withhold forgiveness, if you're tempted to withhold mercy, you will never. I will promise you this, I am prophesying to you this, and everybody that hears my voice, you will never outgive God in anything. Amen. Nothing. Mercy, grace, truth, money, it doesn't matter. You and I will never outgive give God and God's just more about obedience than he is what we'd like to do how much of something he's more about obedience so what if you obey God in an area and because his, your reward for that is somebody you've been praying for for 15 years finally gets saved Amen. that's worth more than money right it doesn't matter what we give away God he will he he will not forsake us and we will never outgive God. Starting with the cross, of course, we'll never, we're so far behind already, we'll never catch up, right? He says, I'm convinced that God can take care of that. Hold fast. See, we've got to live in the spiritual realm, though, not in the natural. The Bible says, Paul said in the Corinthians, the natural man does not receive the things of God, right? But the spiritual man. So when, when the, the, the Lord spoke to Peter and said, rise, slay, and eat, he said, I ain't doing it. I'm not eating that stuff. And the Lord spoke back and said, whatever I've cleansed, do not call unclean. He was getting him ready to receive the Gentiles. We understand that now. But for Peter, it was a point of pride almost, right? I'm not, you know, God asked me to do something. I am not doing it. And so God is able to do far above what we can think. Hold fast the pattern of sound words, which you have heard from me in faith and love, which are in Christ Jesus, that good That good thing which was committed to you, keep by the Holy Spirit who dwells in you. So he starts out talking about his faith, and his faith has impacted his whole life. His faith has made him radical. His faith made him radical for the Lord. That's who Paul was. Paul would put God in front of everything. And Timothy's being trained the same way. This, You know that all those in Asia have turned away from me. Now think about that. you got the greatest apostle that's ever walked the earth. And they're leaving him. Among whom are uh, Phygellus and, and Hermogenes. He said, the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onephas. For he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he sought me out very zealously and found me. The Lord grant to him that he may find mercy from the Lord in that day. And you know very well how many ways he ministered me at Ephesus. Now, Paul was under house arrest. He was shipwrecked. He was left for dead. He was stoned, All kinds of stuff. And some people probably, when they saw how much trouble he was getting in, by following Christ, it probably turn away. If, if uh, Stephen were here tonight, he he's told me this many times. He said, it's hard for us to convert Muslims in Nigeria because they know. I'm not going to say anything that the world ain't already heard. They know that their own family will track them down and kill them. If they convert from Islam to Christianity, they're on a hit list. And so it's hard, he said, to get up because they know once they commit to Christ they're in danger of losing their life. And think about that. Most of us come to Christ because we understood what was at stake or we got tired of living our lives our way because it was going so well. <laughs> but these people, it's actually life and death for some of them. You go get saved, converted, redeemed, forgiven, and be a Christian? Stephen's the only guy I know in all the ministry and all the preachers I know that's had to stop a baptism because they were getting shot at. I mean, that's real life for them. And and, uh, I don't know if our... our, uh, our missionary Donnie Parrott has he ever seen his sidekick is he still been gone for years disappeared in China and we get up in the morning and decide if we want to go to church or not based on how we feel come on now I need a couple of amens or I'm going to take up an offering right in the middle of it but They, some people, their their lives at stake. Paul, I guess people saw that, in Paul, God was just sustaining him till his time was up. But they saw him get snake bit, or they heard about it. Some people saw him get snake bit. Some were left him for dead where he was stoned. He's on the ship, about to go under. He's in house arrest, in prison, Paul, in the maritime dungeon. In Acts chapter sixteen, where raw sewage ran openly, he's he's in all these places. And if you're just looking at it from the natural, a lot of people are thinking, I don't really want that life. (laughs) You know, uh, it's amazing how many people come out for football or basketball the first day. Until it's 99 degrees, and you're full pads, and you're running sprints. You weed them out pretty quick. And there's, Paul even uses some athletic uh, words when he talks a little bit, or the Holy Spirit does. And that's what happens, right? It, we, in Christianity, we can do the same thing. You and I should have made up our mind that we're not quitting yesterday. We don't wait to see what goes on today to decide whether we're sticking it out or not. We made it up yesterday because we fell in love with our Savior, our husband, and we know how good He is. We know, we believe what He told us, what's at stake. And so we're committed yesterday. That's what we do in a wedding, right? We say, hey, we're in because we don't know what the future holds, but we're in. Yep. Amen. And that's that Psalm, right? Psalm 84. We stay coupled with Jesus. God will withhold no good thing from those who walk uprightly. Tamim is the Hebrew word. Somebody who stays coupled no matter what. No matter what. And I've used this analogy before, but when I worked in the mines and we loaded trains with coal, they would back those trains up the holler, and you could watch those cars, 90 of them, one by one, if you were in a certain spot, and watch them. And and there would be some come from Dayton Power. They were brand-new train cars that looked like a brand-new nickel. And then all of a sudden, right in the middle of them, you'd have a a train car that looked like it had been to Vietnam. Holes in it, rust, bent, dented the ladder. You couldn't even climb up the ladder. The doors wouldn't shut on the bottom. We'd have to step cardboard or grass sacks in there to get the coal to stay in the train car. But it didn't matter what it looked like. It didn't matter how many wars it had been through. It didn't matter that it wasn't shiny like the rest of them as long as it stayed coupled. It went everywhere the engine went. And that's us, right? It doesn't matter how many wars you've been through. It doesn't matter how many times you fell down. The Bible says, man falls seven times, but he gets up all seven times. That's being consistent. Because none of it's going to be perfect. Being, part of being consistent is saying, I'm on the ground, I'm getting up. Amen. And so we, no matter what, what, where that engine went, as long as that car stayed coupled, it went everywhere everybody else went. That's who we are. You're gonna, you should have some battle scars. If you've been serving Jesus, the Bible said the world will hate you. Jesus said, if it hated me, it's going to hate you. You're going to be in some circles and some settings, and sometimes it might be in your own family tree where you get disowned or hated. But that's part of the process. That's part of what we go through because our lives are first committed to Him more than anything else. That's what, and that's what Paul and Timothy show us, that they're so committed. And so he says, he says, he found the Lord grant him, these guys have turned away from him, and he says, "You therefore, my son, in verse two, chapter two, verse one, you therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus." And we we're supposed to be strong. Look at the guys in the scripture. You you're not. You got some ice water in your veins. If you're Esther and you're walking up to the king, and you've not had the scepter pointed at you. You're tough. You ain't no pansy, is it? Okay, to use that word. Shit. Don't go to the king if he don't hold us. That's the quickest way to lose your life. She had to be tough. Moses had to be tough. Abraham had to be tough. Nehemiah was tough, and he got so aggravated at the people that wouldn't he. The Bible said he grabbed them by the beard. Said, "You better straighten up. You better quit charging your brother interest." Tough. We need some tough guys. Say we need some tough men and women, people that ain't quitters. That's the only time we're disqualified is when we quit. You're not disqualified because you fail. Everybody in the Bible failed except for Jesus. Every one of them did. We're disqualified when we quit. And usually when we quit is when we get feeling sorry for ourselves and thinking nobody's winning through anything except for us. That's when we need to go back to the book of Job and say, hey, we went through a tenth of what that guy went through. We need to pick it up and go on. And that's who we need to be, right? We need to be tough, tough and committed to our faith committed to Jesus, and you cannot just be committed to a creed. That's where a lot of church got off track years ago. You are committed to a husband, you are committed to a savior. you're committed to a person who's the resurrection, the truth and the life and the great physician and everything else. You're committed to him. Amen. And then he says, he says, and the things that you've heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men. Who will be able to teach others also. And that's what we're called to do as fathers and as brothers. I tell you, there's a couple of people that I can get around and they just throw the word all over me. Every time I get around them. And I love it. They just want to talk about the word. I walked into a place yesterday, this guy was that way. He just covered me in the word. Just spoke it all over me. Coming all over me. And he said, You therefore must endure hardship. That's a word to all of us. He's, Paul's telling Timothy. Paul's done been down the road a long ways. Timothy's coming down the road behind him. He said, You got to endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. What about the guys that wouldn't leave their guys behind? What about the guy that said, I'll go out there first in case there's a landmine? That's how we're supposed to be in Christianity. And he says, You therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And look what he says in this verse, I'm going to close after we speak about this a little bit. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life. If you stay engaged in your spiritual life, And realize there's a battle going on. He said, you will not get entangled with the affairs of this life. Now that could run a long way. That he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. Let me tell you, there's no greater story about this than with King David. King David was supposed to be at war. When he was out on his balcony. And because he wasn't engaged in the war... He got caught up in something he saw from his balcony. And the lust of the flesh got a hold of him. And then that led to one sin. And then that led to another by having... He he tried to... This is how the flesh works, right? He tried to get Bathsheba's husband to bring him home from war. He was so committed to the king, he wouldn't go in and have a relationship with his wife. Because the rest of the army was still at war. He didn't feel like it was right for him to engage with his wife when the rest of the people were still battling. That was how he was honoring the king and the rest of the army. Because David was going to use that as cover. Right? He's going to say, hey, he's been with his wife, so that's probably their kid. And then, that didn't work. So then he sent him to the front line and had him killed. That would have never happened if David would have lived this verse right here. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life. That he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. Has anybody ever done something stupid? Usually, when we do something stupid, we've disengaged from the spiritual. And we let the flesh start pushing us around. Right? And so we get called up in the flesh because we've disengaged from the spiritual journey or the moment. Or the warfare, as he calls it here. But that's a good word. He said, if you stay engaged, you will not entangle yourself with the affairs of this life. Now, in Luke 21, this is where I'm closing. That's my second close, wasn't it? I usually close on three, but I'll go ahead and say it again. I'm closing. So this is the third one. Luke 21. Verse 34. Look what Jesus says to us. This is same kind of teaching that, that the Holy Spirit was doing through Paul. Jesus told us this before Paul penned it down. But take heed to yourselves. Jesus just now, he just finished talking about the end of time. He says, Take heed to yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing. That's the party high life lifestyle. Always wanting to be at the party. Always wanting to do the fleshly thing. And drunkenness, and that word drunkenness could be any th- substance that makes you out of your mind or high. He says, take heed that your heart be weighed down with carousing drunkenness. And the cares of this life. And that's a challenge for all of us. The cares of this life and that that day come upon you unexpectedly. He says, for it will come on the, uh, uh, as a snare on those who dwell on the face of the whole earth. He's talking about the Lord return, right? Watch therefore. This is instruction. He said, watch out. Don't get caught up in this stuff. And the cares of this life. Watch therefore and pray always. Stay engaged. Be a weirdo like me. If you need to pray in Walmart, let her fly. You don't have to pray out loud and be a Pharisee where you draw attention to yourself. I don't ever do that. I may be praying in Walmart and you may be thinking I'm looking at the deal in front of me. But when the devil, if the devil's showing up or if he's trying to aggravate me or if there's something comes into my spirit that I need to pray for somebody in need, I'll do it wherever I'm at. Stay engaged. Don't wait till you get home. I mean... I've lived like that in part of my Christian life. I, I'll get to that. And you told somebody you'd pray for them. You get home, you never even remember. Am I the only one that's done that? If ain't nobody else saying you've done that, then you're gonna. Re- I'm opening this altar up. You know you've been challenged to do something with the Holy Spirit, and you put it off, right? Let's don't do that anymore. You don't have to make a big scene out of it. They, they may think you're looking at the. Uh, the newest water hose they've come out with. Man, they come out with so many new water hoses. Some of them are going to cook you breakfast next year, I think. You can pray. Just pray. And he said, pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these what things, the end of time thing. So he, this is the only time we ever hear Jesus alluding to the rapture of the church. Paul expounds on it because... He said, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. He's the one that opens it up. And the reason I believe God let Paul open it up because the rapture is going to be primarily Gentiles because the Jews have rejected him. And so the Gentile bride that Joseph took before seven years of famine represents the church. And then the seven years of famine, tribulation, you know that's when God restores the Jewish nation back to himself. So you get all that, Right. So Jesus is telling us as followers, and then he kind of gives a word about what Paul's going to expound on when he opens it, I bold, I show you a mystery. He says, watch therefore, pray you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass to stand before the Son of Man. And then Paul talks about that, the bema seat, how that when you go stand before Jesus, not to judge you whether you made it or not, you made it, but we're going to be judged for our works. Some will have rewards, some will be saved as though by fire, the Bible says. We don't want to be playing church. And I mean that in a personal context. Live out your life. Stay committed. Be consistent. And put God in front of everything else in your life. And stay engaged. If you don't stay engaged with the Lord, pray always. That's when the cares of this life. And they're not all bad. They're things that are necessary, but they're not supposed to get in front of God. God. Right? Our children, they're gifts from God. They're not supposed to be more important than God, though. We wouldn't have any children if it wasn't for God. Right? So keep everything in perspective. Father, we thank you for your love and mercy. We thank you for your word. We love your word here in this church and in this ministry, Basilea, and in the well. We love your word. We're thankful, Lord, that you didn't leave us on our own. You gave us the Holy Spirit, and you gave us your word. Greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. Lord, we just want to lift up the Lane family. Uh, a local pastor here whose wife who has been battling cancer. We just want to lift him up. We want to pray for his wife, Lord, and the battles they've faced. And the bad news that, that you get along the way. We know you're the great physician, Lord. We know you have a plan and a purpose for everything in our lives. So we rebuke Satan from that situation we rebuke him and we ask that you would invade that lord with your love your power your healing and everything else that makes you god because we know you can't do any wrong and we give you praise for that